tonight, the Fed has done it. For the first time in more than three years, the nation's central bank is raising its key short-term interest rate. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovec. Steve, huge announcement today, but not I don't think any part of it was really a surprise to anyone who's been keeping a close eye on this because a quarter point hike in the federal funds rate, right, which is the the rate that banks charge each other to loan, loan each other money overnight, um, was exactly what we expected. It, it was. And, and no news is good or, or no surprises are, are good things. I mean, Wall Street hates yes. surprises. And, and I didn't really see anything unexpected in this, Amy. This is good. You mentioned a quarter point. That's what was expected. I like hearing what was expected. That keeps markets calm. So this is probably, though, and I think probably the the most interesting news that I was interested in today was what the dot plot looks like, right? Where the Federal Reserve and the members that make up that board, where they see interest rates going for the remainder of the year. Because you and I both agree this first rate hike was not only necessary, it's probably overdue. Yeah, I, I think it's really overdue. They've been talking about this for a while. Inflation numbers have been getting worse and worse. And that's really what this is all about, Amy, is, you know, they're increasing interest rates to slow the economy down so that inflation gets back to normal. That That's the game plan. I mean, heck, we saw in January inflation was at 7.4%. That was a 40-year high. Um, and then here in February, we got 7.9%. Yeah, I mean, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And the Fed was saying all along, okay, we'll get to it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Well, they finally did it today, and that's good. So with the dot plot, there, there are nine members of the Federal Reserve. These are presidents of Federal Reserve banks scattered across the country. By the way, today's vote was not unanimous. It was no. eight, it was eight to one. St. Louis, the the St. Louis president James Bullard, he's been the one calling for a half a half a percent increase, and and that's what he wanted. He was the the single nay vote. The lone, yeah, the lone dissenter. And you're right; yeah. he actually has been a very vocal voice. He has impacted the markets himself, right, over the past yeah, several weeks when he said, "Hey, I think we should raise interest rates more," because markets had already said, "Hey, we are completely planning on a quarter of a point hike here, and anything more than that yeah. is uncertain. It is an unknown." So you know, interest that he was the lone dissenter, probably not surprising there. But but yes, the dot plot kind of tells us where we think that things are going to move over the next year. Um, and we've said this many times before, but I think it's worth repeating. The Federal Reserve is walking a tightrope oh, right yeah. now. You mentioned, um, you know, inflation and we're at close to 8% year over year paying more for things right now. That's a really uncomfortable um, place for the Federal Reserve to be at the same time. And I was just explaining this to my son earlier in the car. And, you know, I'm like, I think he got it. But I said, you know, they, they have to raise interest rates in order to keep inflation down, right? Because there's such a high demand right now. So we want demand to go down a little bit, but not too much to where no Nobody's buying anything because then we're in a recession and things get really yeah. bad in the other direction. So, uh, you know, it's interesting to see where they project these moves to be. And keep in mind, this dot plot is not set in stone, because if you look back the last time they released a dot plot, it's very different than what they're projecting. Today. Oh, go, go go back two three months back in December. The Federal Reserve through their dot plot, which is basically saying, here's what we think we're going to do in the future, but we're not going to put our names on the dot, so you don't know which one of us is thinking (laughs) this way. So they were saying three rate hikes this year, and what they said today is quarter point today. And guess what? Six more this year. And I think that's what what Bullard from the St. Louis Fed, uh, his concern was by waiting so long and letting inflation get worse and worse and worse. His feeling is we've got to attack this right now 
with a, a big rate hike. Obviously, he didn't get his way, which I'm kind of happy about. But that doesn't mean it's over. We're going to raise rates, and according to the dot plot, expect the overnight federal funds rate to be up around 1.9% by the end of this year after we're done with, with these seven total rate hikes. Well, Bullard, I don't think, would be crazy in calling for a half a point hike if if we didn't have the war with Russia and Ukraine yeah. right now, right? Yeah. But the unknowns that come from that as to the long-term impact that will have on potentially slowing the American economy, yeah. right? So you don't want to take, you don't want to like hit the throttle on slowing things down at the same time things are naturally slowing down because of this war and all of a sudden we come to a grinding halt with yeah. the economy, right? And usually the Federal Reserve wouldn't really make any kind of a move right now because of that unknown. They've just kind of backed themselves into a corner with no choice at this point because inflation's so high. That's a really good point. And, and, you know, keep in mind, yeah, you've got to attack inflation. But here's the fine line. First of all, the, the Federal Reserve has a pretty bad track record of hiking interest rates so rapidly and so much in past eras that they hike us right into a recession. Yep. You know, so they, they, they're walking a real, they're, they're between a rock and a hard place. Not only do they need to raise rates to reduce inflation, but they've also got a balance sheet. All these bonds they've been buying, $8.9 trillion, are sitting in, on their balance sheet right now that they want to sell. They've never raised uh, interest rates. They've never done hikes like this. And gotten rid of bonds uh, yeah. like, the, like they're going to be doing. And Unknown that was a, territory, yeah, right? And, and you add on top of that the huge variable of a major war going on between Ukraine and Russia um, that can impact every every country's economy in the whole world. Um, this is going to be interesting to see because what they're saying they're going to do today may change completely by the next time they get together. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC. As we look at major news today out of the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank hiking interest rates for a quarter point, the first hike we've seen in more than three years. I think, see, though, it's easy for a lot of people to say, all right, the federal funds rate, they're hiking that. That's the, you know, what banks are charging each other to loan money overnight. Why do I care? Well, it's the first domino to fall in a series of dominoes that will eventually impact all of us as consumers. And I would say the first people in line to be hit are those who carry credit card debt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no question. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when when gasoline prices, uh, when the price of crude goes up, gasoline prices, they go up immediately. They don't, they take forever to come down. Well, it's kind of the same with interest rates. Interest rates are going to go up immediately in some areas, and they take forever to come down. I think you're going to see credit card interest rates rise immediately. But what banks pay you, are you going to get 2% on a CD anytime soon? Nah, nice try. Yeah, don't hold but, your but, breath on that But one. the direction is there. I, I mean, by, by the Federal Reserve coming out and saying, we're going to do seven total hikes. Today's the first. Six more coming, most likely quarter quarter percent. But I'll tell you what, they're, they, they're not taking a half a percent off the table in future rate hikes. So, you know, there could still be a surprise. But by giving us that direction, we know which rate, which way rates are going to go. We have a good rough estimate of how much and how rapidly they're going to be increased. And that allows you to make some plans. So, you know, mortgage rates, well, they're not directly correlated by any stretch to this. But I think the direction is up. Yeah. Well, and I want to go back to credit cards for a minute because yeah. the average credit card interest rate right now is north of 16 yeah. percent. And if we're talking about the Federal Reserve over the course of the next year, hiking in total about 2 percent, um, what it means to you is if you're carrying that debt, 
pay it down as quickly as possible. You know, I mean, it's already a huge amount of interest that you're paying. You add on top of that a couple more percentage points uh, yeah. and you're really paying interest on some, you know, something that's accruing and accruing. So you've got to get that kind of under under wraps first and foremost. Yeah, but I, I don't think you have to run out and, and make a whole bunch of changes in your debt restructuring and all that sort of stuff. Because, again, the direction is clear which direction interest rates are going. And that's a really good point with credit card interest rates. And that's, you know, one more reason that you shouldn't carry a balance. But, you know, you look at a car loan. Um, if it's a quarter point hike on a $25,000 loan, three bucks a month. Okay, a cup yeah. of coffee. It, you know, so I, I wouldn't go into panic mode on anything, uh, anything immediately. But if you're going to do refinancing or if you're going to take a loan out, um, you might want to do it sooner than later. Yeah. $3 a month, Steve, when's the last time you bought a cup of coffee? I think Starbucks is probably like five bucks, six bucks now. Yeah, that's so. why I don't go to Starbucks. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't make Wagner kind of money, so I can't. I don't, that kind I'm of not, I'm not a coffee person, <laughs> but my daughter apparently is. And I'm like the last time she got with a, with a gift card, I was like, that was a $7 drink. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, so just to the point, right? $3 a month when we're paying so yeah. much more for other things, really kind of a drop in the bucket. Now where we end up later this year. What I really think and actually might happen with cars and with homes is these have been such red hot markets, right? I mean, people just jumping yep. in and, and, and buying homes, buying cars, um, because you just couldn't, you know, pay interest rates this low ever, at least not in a long time. Uh, I think what it might do is actually kind of loosen up those markets and give yeah. people the opportunity to buy a home who have been outbid a dozen times already this year. Yeah, that's that to me. That's the real impact is, I mean, can you imagine being a first time home buyer, newly married, scraping together 10 percent and, no. and trying to do that in this market? Well, what's the reason that the market's been so hot? And, and it's across the board. It's all markets. It's all, all across across the country a big reason is because you were able to get a mortgage at two and a half three percent for years well yeah. those days are over and and since we're talking about having to pay higher interest rates well guess what people won't be able to afford that extra high-priced house and I think you're gonna have to see sellers that that are looking to, to dump their homes or, or just move on um, that they're gonna have to ask reasonable prices when they sell now I, I think that that's a good healthy thing for the real estate market yeah we might bring some normalcy back to the that'd market. be nice yeah. although I was just talking to Michelle Sloan who's a real estate expert um, Sloan sells homes and she said um, we have not seen any slowing down yet I mean even the talk yeah. right of rate hikes yeah. is just continue to and she said it's just worse and worse and even for a realtor right you'd think they'd be loving this yeah. she said it's absolutely miserable because you cannot find homes for the people who want them and so uh, you know maybe we get to a more normal point and then I just think it's worth making this point again Steve um, which is that for any of you who are saying okay um, interest rates are hiking so at least I can make more on my money in the bank this is where we say, hey, don't hold your breath because that's not right. coming anytime soon. Banks don't have to, right, increase the rates that they're paying you. And I think it's going to take one major bank to fall, right? And, to and they of, will. They will. And they will. Yeah. But I, you have to wait for the first one to fall before the other ones feel the pressure to do that. And that may not happen anytime soon. Here's a Simply Money point. We expect to be this the first of several rate hikes the Fed will make, but the war in Ukraine and an ongoing global supply chain issue makes their decision incredibly tricky. So will their moves cool off inflation like they hope? Well, it remains to be seen. You have investment and retirement questions. We've got answers for you. We'll ask the advisor next and how a dentist tried to game the insurance system with a drill. That's coming up in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. 
You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Spurback. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. Do you have the right financial advisor for you? We've got some red flags to watch out for. Maybe you've got the wrong one. That's straight ahead at 643. Oh, Steve, you know everyone loves a dentist, don't we? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I almost became a dentist. Did you I really? Actually, I actually took I my boards. I cannot picture that. Um, no, nah, I couldn't either. <laughs> That's why I'm not. <laughs> I almost became an attorney. We would have been a dentist and an attorney. How about that? An interesting combo. Yet, yeah. here, yet here we are. And if you had become a dentist, I know you wouldn't be this kind. So this dentist in Wisconsin was actually just found guilty um, of drilling his patient's teeth. So he's in their <laughs> mouths, drilling their teeth to break them so that they have to come back, get them fixed, and then he gets paid more money by the insurance company yeah are you kidding me I, I it's bad enough going to a dentist this sounds like did you ever see little shop of horrors yes yeah the, the one with steve martin and and oh uh, bill murray unbelievably funny scene in the dentist chair but i mean this guy was actually doing that he did i, I mean we're talking close to a thousand procedures a year and, and apparently the vast majority of them were unnecessary he was in the top five percent of all of the dentists in the state of Wisconsin in replacing crowns. And when they looked at, wow, you know, how come this one guy's got so many? He's breaking teeth. How yes. would you like to be a patient finding out that you didn't need to have that done and he intentionally broke your tooth? One more reason to not enjoy going to your dentist. To the tune of $4.2 million in bogus claims. Now, listen, though, like we laugh about it, but obviously in Wisconsin, this is no laughing matter. This guy's facing up to 60 years in prison when he is sentenced in June. Bet he regrets that now, you know? Yeah, you know, but kind of I I get it's really bad and they caught him. So that's kind of good. And if he's in the top five percent, I wonder about the rest of them in the top five percent. But who else is up there? What are they doing? 60 years. I I think he might learn his lesson if he's a dentist and, you know, a pillar of the community and all that. Well, after a couple of years, we'll see what he gets sentenced. I can't imagine going away for 60 years over that. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC. What are your money questions? We know you've got them. Tonight, we are asking the advisor to send us your questions at asksimplymoney at allworthfinancial.com. First question tonight from John, who lives in Fort Wright. Is there any downside to maxing out my 401k, my health savings account, and my Roth IRA every year? Boy, listen to this guy, huh? He's loading I, up on I all know. Of them. I love how, this man. How often does that happen? Well, the, the answer is kind of what uh, my mechanic says when, when I say, how much is this going to cost? And, you know, he says, uh, how much money you got? I, I mean, you could do whatever you want if you have enough money. Sure. You know, here here's where I start to get a little concerned. Um I have I have dealt with people, I have met with people that are incredibly efficient with saving in their 401k, HSA, Roth IRAs, and it's sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's at the expense of an emergency fund and yes. or just a taxable account you can access before retirement. So, you know, it's millions of dollars in a 401k, $10,000 in an emergency fund, doesn't really work in in your first couple of years of retirement. So, um, yeah, let's take a hard look at how you're splitting your dollars. And and, uh, I know you're big on emergency funds, too, Amy. I I mean, that's that's an important part of your your 
allocation. I'm big on all of these things, right? Yeah. Especially a health savings account because it yeah. becomes a de facto 401k if you can pay out of your pocket right now for medical expenses and push that money forward to retirement. So I, triple tax advantage. I'm a huge fan of the HSA. So I love that. And I would say you absolutely put you know as much money in your 401k as possible. Definitely getting that full company match. If you have all of these resources, great. I love yeah. that you're starting here rather than blowing the money on something. I agree. The foundation of everything has to be the emergency fund. Well-funded, six months. Maybe if you've got this, maybe you put a year, year's worth in there just to, just to be It'll sure It'll help you okay. sleep in retirement, you bet. Yes. However, I'm wondering if John has any fun because I also don't <laughs> think it's a bad thing to spend a little money on vacation, right? Or yeah. something like that. I, I love super savers. You're ahead of everyone else in the game, um, but maybe treat yourself every so often too. There's nothing wrong with that. Next question comes from Nancy. She lives in Montgomery. The situation um, with Russia has me spooked. I'm watching my investment accounts go down as each day passes, and I'm wondering if I should just get more conservative as soon as I possibly can. Well, it could be Nancy. It could be about 100 other people. Yeah, 100, I was going to say, yes. Oh, my goodness. Everybody's uh, worried about this. And, yeah, we've had a heck of a correction since uh, roughly the first of the year. I I, I mean, the the question is, first of all, is this the right time to sell? Secondly, is it going to get worse? And, and thirdly, okay, what do you put the money in? And, and I think that's the real bugaboo on this is what do you do if you do sell? I'm, I'm not saying it, it makes sense to sell out of stocks, but what do you do with the money? Do you go into bonds? Well, guess what happens when interest rates are rising to bonds? They drop in value, yeah. so they're not, they don't necessarily give you the protection that maybe you're hoping for. Yeah, they're a shock absorber, but if that shock absorber is losing you money, did you really gain anything? So There's this is not called an Tina, easy answer. Right? This, is, this is a Tina situation yeah. where there is no alternative, right? As you're looking around, sure, there's a lot of people who would say, I'd love to take my money out of the stock market right now. I don't like looking at my 401k balance and seeing it go down. But I would just say a few reminders here, uh, Tina, first of all, or Nancy, um, first of all, uh, if you're a long term investor, this, these losses are only on paper. Right. If you don't need that money anytime soon, um, what we've seen historically after times like this is the market It'll rebounding. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I think it's 80, 90% of the time uh, markets are actually up a year later after yeah. these huge geopolitical incidents that we've seen throughout the, the course of the history of our country. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, and also, don't check your 401k every day right now. That's a really good point. Yeah. When you start paying too much attention to cable news and and watching your investments hour by hour in some cases, you're going to get all balled up. Just let let it go. It's okay. This is a normal correction. Yeah, things are scary over in the Ukraine. But when you sell your stocks after they've dropped, guess what you just did? You locked in that loss instead of hoping it comes back. And the people that sold Back in in the middle of the pandemic when things were heading south and stayed in cash during the rebound, they got hurt bad. Yeah. And Nancy, the only thing I would say, too, is just make sure that you've checked your risk tolerance, right? Maybe you do have too much money in the stock market. And that might be, I mean, but that would count for good times and in bad times like this one, right? It's easy to kind of ride things out the past couple of years. We've just been on this growth in the market. You felt like you couldn't go wrong. Now, maybe it's a reality check. Maybe you need to check that investment mix. Uh, Next question comes from Ralph in Liberty Township. Three months of an emergency fund, $5,000 in credit card debt. Which issue should I tackle first? Steve, we've got just a few seconds on this one, but I think this is an important question that a lot of people have. I would say both. 
Uh, okay, I'll, I'll I'll go along with that, but I hate credit card debt. If you're paying 17% interest, guess what you get for a return on your money if you pay that credit card off? 17%, you ain't getting that in the bank. So maybe prioritize the credit card, but also put a little money in that emergency fund to try to build that. Not only has the pandemic allowed many of us to work from home, it's also allowed some of us to work and travel at the same time. So would being a digital nomad work for you? We're going to get into that next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. So much has changed in all of our lives because of this pandemic, whether it's on a personal level or maybe at work. One of those things, we've all learned that many of us can work remotely, and that's opened up an entire new avenue for so many. Joining us tonight, Anna Staples. She's an analyst for CreditCards.com. And there's a word, uh, a digital nomad, and you say this has kind of get come from the pandemic. Uh, yes, uh, digital nomads didn't really come from the pandemic. You know, there were a lot of them before, but I think the opportunity to become one has become more common for a lot more people, not just for, you know, freelancers or people who have passive income. Now, if you have a full-time job and you have an opportunity to work remotely, you can consider this lifestyle. But um, there's also a lot of preparation that would have to go into it if you really want to do it. Okay, so Anna, explain what we're talking about. When we say digital nomad, what exactly does that mean when it comes to your work life? So a digital nomad is a location-independent worker um, who works online while traveling. And these people, they may switch locations every few months or even live on the road, as they say. Uh, It's really up to a person, you know, the kind of digital nomad lifestyle they lead. Um, and so uh, with uh, the opportunity to work remotely, now people can travel, you know, many places, wherever they want, you know, depending on their company's remote work policy um, and try out this lifestyle and see if they like it. So many American workers during this time, maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, would have said, no, I, I can't possibly work remotely. We've learned that absolutely we can. Our employers have become more open to that. But you're saying that there are some workers out there taking it to another step and saying, not only do I not want to, I, I want to work from home, but I want home to be wherever I want it to be. So you're not tied to Cincinnati or New York or LA or wherever you are. You can be anywhere. And there are people that are choosing to do this. So how do we know if this is a good fit for us? Um, absolutely. I think uh, it's kind of becoming a norm. And I think it's really amazing. Um, in fact, uh, 37% of employed Americans who are now looking for a new job opportunity said that it's important for them to have this ability to, to work from home remote or, or remotely. And uh, this was according to uh, a survey that Bain created recently, and this is our sister site. And it's especially true for, uh, you know, younger generations, for Gen Z and millennials. And uh, we found that 62% of Gen Z and 60% of millennials say that work flexibility, such as, you know, the ability to work remotely or, you know, flexible working hours um, is important to them moving forward. And, uh, you know, I think it's great and I think it's totally doable because we now have had over a year to really understand that, yes, it is possible to do our jobs remotely, you know, successfully. So why don't we have this freedom and why don't we use it to go and travel and, you know, live in all these places that we wanted to, you know, call home for a little bit? 
Yeah, to your point, Anna, that research uh, that was recently done shows that not only is this incredibly important, but that to some workers, a, a large percentage of workers, the ability to work remotely uh, is even more important than than a, than a pay increase, which I think is, uh, you know, probably like that for maybe the first time ever. So for someone who's looking at this kind of lifestyle, what are first steps in figuring out if this can work for you? Uh, sure. So I think there are four parts to really trying this out. And the, the very first is really learning about your company's remote work policy. So don't just go assuming that, oh, well, if I can work from home now, I can work from anywhere for any length of time because a, a company may have um, any sorts of restrictions or where you can go, how long you can stay there, and they may have to do with, you know, uh, business license, licensing issues or uh, taxing issues, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, so it's really important to, you know, reach out to um, your HR or your manager and um, ask about it and see what you uh, can do and then go from there. Um, and, of course, the other thing is, is figuring out your budget, you know, another big thing, because travel um, in and of itself is expensive. So you have to really plan carefully, you know, consider your options, you know, depending on where you're going, where you want to be staying, um, you know, it will all affect your budget. So it's really important to plan ahead. Um, and then, of course, you know, all the COVID restrictions and travel requirements, there's also a lot to uh, become familiar with before you, you know, go on this trip and, you know, um, uh, go into any difficulties because, you know, you, you need a COVID test or a vaccination or anything. And then, of course, uh, it's important to have the right, you know, kinds of payments with you, right credit cards. And, you know, this is my personal favorite um, part of the planning, you know, figuring out how many points I can get and what I can pay for with points. <laughs> well, that's a great way of looking at it. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We're joined by Anna Staples. She's an analyst for creditcards.com with some really interesting information. If you've learned during this pandemic that you like working remotely uh, and that maybe you're not tied to a certain area, maybe the lifestyle of a digital nomad where you work from the road uh, could be right for you. And it's really interesting because several weeks ago I was researching uh, a trip for early next year and was looking at deals at a resort on a resort's website. And there was something about actually working from that resort for a month. And I thought, my goodness, I've never seen anything like this, but the travel industry is certainly adapting to this kind of lifestyle. Oh, absolutely. And those kind of deals, they appear during the pandemic, you know, when people were really missing traveling, missing going on trips and having this new emotions, you know, from from the trip. So um, lots of resorts kind of came up with this new, new idea where, you know, they would allow you to work from there. They would, you know, provide some kind of services to make it comfortable for you. So there was like this possibility and it kind of became a, a new norm, too. And I even recently got a survey from my apartment complex where, you know, they were serving people wondering if um, it would, they would think it would be a great idea if they could travel between, uh, you know, different apartment locations in different cities, you know, if that was a possibility. And I, I was just thinking, oh, my God, you know, the world is really changing. It's becoming more mobile. And it is really so, so exciting. And to your point, Anna, do you think this is just now, right, as we're coming out of this pandemic? I know you don't have a crystal ball, or do you think that maybe this is a change that we'll see that's going to stick around? 
Um, I'm hoping it will stick around, and I'm thinking it will because, uh, you know, it's been really a long time. It's been over a year, and we have now become used to certain things and, you know, certain comforts of working from home or working remotely. And, uh, you know, there is some good sites for businesses to it, too, because, you know, if you don't have to pay rent for, you know, your office building, why would you do it if, you know, nobody even wants to go there and sure. your employees can, you know, uh, work to successfully from home, you know, cutting all this expenses for you. So I'm hoping all these trends will stick around and I'm excited to, to, you know, what's coming. So for anyone listening who says, okay, this sounds really interesting to me before you sell your home, move out of your apartment, uh, put all of your stuff into storage, how can you kind of test this a little bit before diving in headfirst? say just try it for a few weeks first, maybe even a few months if you can, because of course, you know, it would be extreme to say, well, I'm going to sell my house now, you know, or I'm going to put everything in storage. I'm going to, you know, have a van life, (laughs) as they say. But um, yes, just try it out. You know, really, you know, the time frame doesn't matter if, you know, a a month for you, you think you will figure out um, if it works for you, then, you know, a month is great. And of course, you know, have the right budget for it. Um, uh, Do a lot of planning as much as you can to prevent any kind of surprises and then see how it's working out for you. Absolutely. Well, interesting advice, right? So for anyone who has learned that you can work remotely during this pandemic, that there's flexibility from your work, from your boss, and you enjoy traveling and get bored in the same place all the time, maybe the the lifestyle of a digital nomad could work for you. Anna Staples has been joining us tonight. She's an analyst for creditcards.com, explaining exactly what that is and how you can go about it. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Strovac. Straight ahead, turning your makeshift home office into something a little more real and maybe a little more enjoyable to spend your time in. You know, Steve, um, for anyone who has a financial advisor, I feel like there are two different groups of people. Those who've had these amazing experiences, they realize this is a relationship that they have for years, and they just love the person they work with. But there's also a group of people who have just had a bad experience, and it kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. And I would say not all advisors are created equal. Oh, no question about it. I've done this long enough to, to see and, and hear a lot of the experiences people have had that cause them to come over to me or, or another advisor. And, and, you know, it's to me, it's just common sense. When you deal with people, they are your customers. They are the reason you get paid what you get paid. Um, it's pretty simple in, in my view to be able to be a successful advisor. It's not about getting the best returns or, or you know, any magical combination of investments or anything like that. It's If there's one word, listen. I, I yes. mean, that's the bottom line. Listen, what's going on with that person's life? What are their goals? What are their dreams? How can you help them accomplish them financially? And if you've got an advisor that's not asking you those questions, you might need to start looking because that is number one in my book, the most important thing that you are the person that is most important and your advisor should be listening to you. If your advisor doesn't know that you love to travel or that you have grandkids who live out of town and that retirement will look like going to visit them pretty often, right? If they're not asking questions about those things, they cannot properly help you plan 
ahead for retirement. No. They just can't help you do that. So that's a huge thing. They need to know you, know about your life. Also, though, we would say you need to find a fiduciary, which is yeah. a big word for saying this is someone who doesn't put their best interests ahead. They're putting your best interests first, meaning they could recommend a product, right, that they could get commission. It, it might be suitable for you, but it's not the best thing for you. You don't want that. You want someone who's a fiduciary because they are legally required to put your best interests before their own. And, and legally is the truth. I mean, this is a legal responsibility. Yes. It's not just, hey, he's a good guy, he's ethical. No, it's it's legally responsible. And, and the good news, Amy, is I am hearing that word from the average investor a lot these days. I think people finally understand after years and years. We've been saying years, it a lot. <laughs> well, we have, and it's it's not just us. And and the question is, how do you know they're a fiduciary? Well, the best way is say, how do you get paid? Yeah. Well, if it's a fee that you are paying based on a percentage of assets or an hourly fee, that person most likely is a fiduciary. If you see CFP, Certified Financial Planner, that person is going to be a fiduciary. So yeah, ask the questions and start off with, how do you get paid? And, and if the answer is, well, it's a commission or, or something along those lines, that person by definition is not going to be a fiduciary in that particular example. And how about during times like this, right, when markets are down, can you not get a hold of your advisor, right? That's a huge red yeah. flag. They disappeared when you need them most. Um, they gave you a plan, and then they strayed far from it during times when things were super volatile. That's not a great advisor. <laughs> Definitely um, not. And you see that a lot. And I'm not going to say, you know, stick with the old guys, I mean, which, you know, that that's one of the few advantages that I have of doing this as long as I have. I've been through a lot of this. Yes. You know? I started in the early 80s. The 87 market crash was a shocker. Could you imagine if we saw a 25% drop in, in major stock indexes in one day? That's what happened in October of 87. And never mind 2008, 9-11. I, I mean, there's a lot of things like that. And, and I, I won't say. Yeah, exactly. I won't say it's a lot of new advisors, but, you know, there are quite a few advisors that have not been through tough times. And if they panic, if they cut and run, if they make major changes to, to investments based on, you know, what just happened, that's generally not a real good sign. So, you know, uh, if somebody's been through the 2008 meltdown, I, I would give a little bit of credibility to them and that they survived, that they went through, that, that they got through it, and, and that they did a good job for their clients, holding their hand, making sure they stayed the course and, and were invested properly couple of other things. Um, if you go into your advisor and you feel like you're absolute small potatoes, like they're just not interested in you because they've got other bigger clients uh, that you don't have as much money. Well, I think absolutely that's one thing to think about. Um, another is, um, you mentioned this before, Steve, if they're not transparent about fees, like you ask them how they get paid and then you should just stop and listen. And if they start yeah. tap dancing. Oh, and there's a lot of tap dancing. Yes. A lot of tap dancing goes on on that subject. It's, oh, don't worry about it. If you hear don't worry about it, worry oh. about it. Right? Yeah, run to the door is what uh, I would uh, say. Exactly. Oh, the company pays me. You don't have to pay me. I've heard that one. The company pays you. Is that right? What? Where's that money come from? Are, are they a nonprofit? No. Yeah. I mean, it comes out of your pocket it's some in some way, shape, or form. So just understand where the money's coming from and understand in, in no uncertain terms how much and how it's based.
And I would say, too, if they are using words that you do not understand, right? And I think a lot of times advisors do this just because they want you to know they're smart, right? Or think they're smart, right? You use these words, and then they know that they need me because they don't understand how to do these things. Absolutely not. Your advisor should be incredibly transparent. You should not leave their office more confused than when you came in. You should leave the office thinking, I'm in really good hands, and I understand what the plan is here, and I and I was heard, and this is what we're going to do as the result of that, and it all makes perfect sense to me. If you leave there and it doesn't make sense yeah. to you, it's not the right fit. What, what's the name of our show? Simply Money? Simply Money. Where, where did that come from? Because we were hearing too many people yes. using big words and confusing. No, investing is not that complicated, and it's people in it make it complicated, and I don't know why they do that. Here's a Simply Money point. Picking a financial advisor is one of the most important decisions you can make. So look for these red flags so you can ensure trust in the person handling your hard-earned money. This is a relationship, right? And if it's if it's the right fit, it will be ongoing for years. Are you working from home? Does your makeshift, makeshift office have you feeling a little boxed in? We've got some inexpensive ways to improve your space next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Strovac. If you are working remotely, well, oh my gosh, you know there are lots of headaches involved from, first of all, my dog popping in to... Truly, I was on a a Zoom call a few weeks ago with like someone who was pretty high up at Allworth, right? And my dog decides to roll all over my laptop in front of the screen as one of my children goes (laughs) running through the background. And I was thinking, if I'm trying to tell people that I've got it all together working at home, uh, the story that's playing out in in front of them tells something quite different. We all have kind of this craziness, but there are ways to kind of at least get things. I can't control my dog. I can't control my kids, but I can control my surroundings at home. Uh, And so there are things that you can do to make work working from home a little more enjoyable, especially in the space that you're in. Well, I like what you do is you just go in the closet and close the door. I mean, that's, that's one one. That's method. exactly where I'm doing this radio <laughs> show from right now. That's purely because um, well, I, I'm supposed to only do the radio show in here because the, the clothes actually like, the acoustics help, are the, good. help the acoustics, but I actually hide in here sometimes too <laughs> and do work because it's the only place no one bothers me. So so there is that, which, which doesn't help because a lot of these places will tell you, find a workspace near a window, just yeah. the daylight, right? Just seeing trees, uh, the outdoors, it's, it's usually kind of calming. Think, I mean, the outdoors are calming for many of us. So just having that within eyesight as you're working on projects and, yeah. you know, late for a deadline or whatever it is, it's, it's kind of helpful. I, I don't know how younger people with young kids do it. I mean, both my sons have young kids and, you know, okay, da- daddy's working now. You can't open the door. Well, that goes out the window within about sure. 30 seconds with kids. But yeah, the window window's great, especially when you're going through dark times like the pandemic. I know when I was working from home, um, yeah, being able to look out at a nice green backyard, birds chirping and everything, important. Bring the greenery inside. Get some yeah. get some plants in, in your home office. That, that makes a big difference. Some yeah. shrubbery. Well, and just add things around you that make you happy. Um, and actually, my husband's been out of town, so when he gets back, though, I'm excited about this. He has these marbles um, that he's had since he was a little kid. They were at his grandparents' house, and they were only his. I lost mine. And he, oh, you marbles. did? Yeah, oh. lost my marbles years ago. <laughs> I don't Please even know continue. why I decided to go along with it, because of course you lost your marbles. Well, he held on to his, um, and uh, he just loves them, and they've been just kind of 
shoved in a corner somewhere. So I actually put them out in this glass thing right by where he works so we can see them because he has these dear, dear memories of his grandparents. And I love that maybe yeah. that right in front of him as he's working, just little things like that. And also clutter. I hate clutter. And when I'm trying to concentrate on something on my computer for work and I'm looking at a pile of just stuff yeah. sitting there, I can't do it. So lose the clutter, make room for storage. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, and to me, it was so tough to work from home that I stopped. I went to work. and, and we're You lasted to... like a week. Oh, yeah, that was, that was it. I, <laughs> I, I'm out. I'm, I'm back going, yeah, I'll commute, but I, I need that, that space at the, at the office. And, and, but a lot of people, I mean, we're seeing in New York City, Amy, um, housing values near rail is discounted now because people are working from home. They like it. You've listened to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.